Welcome to the Team EF Coaching Performance Podcast, where we take information from the top level of sport and make it accessible for all cyclists. I'm your host, Zach Morris, and in this episode, we're having a chat with one of our coaches, TJ Van Garderen. TJ recently retired from being a professional cyclist and transitioned into a role as a director sportif on EF Pro Cycling. In this podcast, we have an interesting conversation with TJ who talks about his transition from being a pro rider to now being a DS, the evolution of the sport, and some of the things that he thinks the riders are doing in training that are making them more dynamic, more athletic, and changing the dynamics of racing. Jump into this podcast and enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have none other than TJ Van Garderen on the podcast today. TJ, we're so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. So a lot of big transitions for you in your life this year, obviously retired racing uh, at the end of last year and, and became a director sportif for EF Pro Cycling. How's that going? It's going well. It's, uh, it's a lot of travel, probably more so than when I was a cyclist, but um, I'm getting the hang of it, learning the ropes and uh, you know having a lot of fun doing it. How have you adapted to the spreadsheets over you know, staring at your bike computer and just crushing watts every day. How's, how's that transition been? I mean, it's been a steep learning curve. You know, sometimes I think what takes me away, what would take a normal person 30 minutes on a computer probably takes me two hours just because computers were never my thing. But, uh, you know, once you get behind the, the race car and you're in the race giving tactics or standing in front of them giving, uh, giving the strategy for the day, that's when I feel more in my element. And I'm like, all right, this is what I love about this job. Yeah. That's amazing. What does it feel like to be on the other side of the spectrum where, you know, you used to be not so long ago, the person in the chair taking the orders from the director. Now you're, it's, it's gotta be a little strange too. You're on the other side of it. Same guys, a lot of the same guys sitting in the seats you used to sit in and now you're giving the orders. What does that, what does that feel like? It is weird. I mean, I think you know, I'm going to have to get a few years into the job and then have, you know, my old colleagues retire out and have fresh faces coming in because right now it's like I was just sitting next to all those guys and they're looking up at me. It's this weird, weird feeling. But um, I, now that the season's gone on, I've, I've gotten used to it. Um, I can still joke with the guys as if they were teammates, but uh, I don't know. There, there's definitely that balance that I need to strike between, uh, okay, I'm not a racer anymore. I'm a, I'm a DS now. Maybe there's a different dynamic between us, but um, but no, it's it's still been a, a great experience. Has being a DS changed the way you see the sport at all? Honestly, a little bit, yeah. Because when I was racing, I feel like I was always so in tune with what my objective was or what the team's objective was. But as a DS, I feel like you're kind of more in tune with the entire race. So you're in tune with what all the other team's objectives are. And not only that, I was always kind of put in races that suited me or that I had a, a clear objective in. And now I'm having to direct races where I might be directing Magnus Court, where I'm going to Maryland Cycling Classic tomorrow. And it, that's going to be mainly a sprinter's race, which is something that I didn't do a whole lot of in my career, but I'm going to direct that. So so now it's kind of like you're having to take a much bigger picture rather than your own self-interest, if that makes sense. 
That's really interesting. Do you feel like having to take this larger interest and maybe broaden your perspective on the sport a little bit has given you a higher, even higher level? I mean, it's hard to imagine you having a higher level understanding, but do you think that, you know, taking this kind of self-interest out of it and focusing on the sport abroad has given you an even higher level understanding of cycling? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, um, even just kind of if I would get behind a breakaway and I was kind of having to coach the rider and, okay, how are we going to win this stage? Because there's a thousand different scenarios that can play out. And I would maybe pick one and, uh, and have the rider do it. And obviously the rider always has to have the legs. If you have a, a really strong rider, your, your job's a lot easier. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we can't take too much credit because it's the rider doing the pedaling. But, um, but there were, there were times in a breakaway, I would kind of envisioning it going one way and then it would turn out another way. And I'm like, wow, I come to think of it. I've done GC for most of my career. I haven't actually done a whole lot of breakaway scenarios. So I was actually having to learn from the other DSs, like what's the most likely outcome in this scenario? Because I never really focused on that. I look at your career, man. It's just, it's amazing what you accomplished on the bike. Such, so much talent, such a great rider, so strong. You obviously worked so hard on, on many different aspects of your cycling game throughout your entire career. Do you feel like, I know you're just kind of settling in, but do you feel like you have a lot of value to add to these guys? I think so. I mean, obviously dealing with pressure, you know, you had just mentioned that. I mean, I can kind of relate to, or not kind of, I can definitely relate to what these guys are going through, like outside of a racing level, just more on a personal level. Certainly when it comes to, to GC tactics and and what what the key points are, what the what the race strategy is on that point. And there's there's definitely a lot of things I can learn because people are going to have different strengths and weaknesses. But certainly when it comes to a time trial day, I think I'm I don't want to say I'm the best guy, but I think I have a lot of experience to, to add in that uh, regard, like navigating the course, where to apply the power, where to take some recovery, how to take the corners because uh, time trialing that was kind of my my bread and butter as a cyclist more and more top athletes around the world have kind of you know come to the surface like we saw you know the last dance with michael jordan where we learned a lot about his process and you know we've we've learned so much about kobe bryant and, and these different athletes who have um we've we've just learned a lot about their process and th there's there is a difference in athletes who live in the mindset of like being the absolute best. And when you were riding for GC, you absolutely lived in that mindset. There was no stone unturned. And I think, you know, there's a lot of riders, even in pro cycling, who uh, go through go through the motions a lot of times and, and, and aren't necessarily in that, that super elite mindset. So I think I'm, as a fan, really excited to see where your career goes as a, as a director. And I think uh, I think there's a lot of, lot of results to come from the, the TJ Van Garderen wing, if you will, um, of pro cycling. And speaking of, you know, that upper level of pro cycling, the reason why we wanted to have you on the, on the podcast today is to really talk about the evolution of the sport. We hear a lot of the, I guess, older riders now talking about how cycling is changing so much. These young guys are coming in. They're so fast. They're so dynamic. The races are so much harder. What are you seeing on your end from when you started racing to now as a director? How has the sport changed? I mean, cycling's always been hard. Get that out of the way. I don't know. It seems like every like every person's parents hates the music that their kids listen to, you know? So, like, everybody uh, 
everyone's going to say, oh, this has changed, or oh, it's so much different. But at the end of the day, it's like cycling is cycling. You got to cross the line first. Now, I think there are differences in who you're seeing on the top and different reasons as to why that may be. A lot of guys who, are, who come from cyclocross, who are come from track, are, are really starting to dominate the sport. Like you saw that on the whole Britain track program, how they came in with Wiggins and, and Garen Thomas and, and all these guys, and they, they really just took over. And now you're seeing that same thing with mountain bikers and cyclocross. And I don't know, I think that the evolution is becoming less of the, it's becoming less of an endurance-based sport, which obviously if we're riding for three weeks for 120 miles a day, it's still endurance, but it's less about putting in those long, slogging, hard base miles and more about that sharp, sharp intensity. And uh, I think that's why you're seeing the speeds getting higher. And I noticed that really a lot during the, the COVID uh, year when we all came back to cycling, everyone was stuck on lockdown and they were doing these 45 minute super intense Zwift races. And then things opened up and they could add a little bit of volume to that. And it just seemed like the speed was so much higher. Um, it's almost like they flipped the whole, the whole script. You know, like rather than getting the long base miles in in the winter, they were getting super short, sharp, intense efforts. And then building the pyramid basically from the top up rather than from the bottom up. Really? And then the speed like went insane. That's really interesting. You know, that's like a lot of what we have to do with our coaching clients because, you know, people with jobs, professional desk drivers don't have the option to go and ride 25 to 30 hours a week like pro riders do. So they live in that space where, you know, they're doing a lot of swift sessions, they're doing a lot of shorter interval sessions, and we've got like eight hours a week to maximize people's performance. And so we have to focus on those dynamic, sharp end of the race moments that, um, we want to, you know, use in their competitive events because a lot of these people want to, you know, this, you're a coach, you coach some badass riders in our program and they all want to go fast and, and, and win these different races. So it's interesting that at the top level of sport, a lot of riders were doing that and it, you feel like it had a big impact on coming out of COVID and, and then into pro cycling. And I guess it's not gone back since, has it? No, I think people are starting to catch on that. Uh, I mean, some people are kind of stuck in that that old school way of thinking, if you want to call it that. It's weird how it's always been you have to do these long, hard, five, six-hour rides in the coldest part of the year. And then when you get to the warmest and nice and sunny part of the year, you're, stick, you're only outside for a couple hours because you're doing sharp, intense efforts. It would be a lot easier to only be outside for a couple hours and doing those efforts. And yeah, you look at guys like Wout von Erich and Vanderpool and Pitcock, they're still just racing mountain bike or cyclocross throughout the winter. So they're just, they're only out for an hour. They do their warm up, they race for an hour and then their day's done. And then once the weather warms up, they add some volume and they're, they're not the ones getting dropped in Perry roubaix that's a six and a half hour race, you know? It's all they were doing was short intense efforts. Yeah, I mean, some of the things that I think in, in the old school way of doing things was you have the season and then after the season, you uh, you focus so much that you eat, you drink and you put on a lot of weights. So then you had to do those base miles to lose the weight. And I think that was the whole like, OK, first we got to get down to race weight and then we can start adding intensity. That was the whole probably the whole purpose of the base miles. But now I'm thinking guys are so professional so year-round 
that uh, they don't really need to do that anymore. They can just focus on the quality. Now looking at the sport from this different perspective, is there anything that you would really want to work on, you would really want to develop as a rider if you were just coming into professional cycling right now? Work in the gym, it kind of goes in phases. They phase it in, they phase it out. And I think like the, in my era, gym work wasn't very focused on. You know, people did core work and they made sure they were stable on the bike, but like real heavy gym work was kind of phased out because I think people just got so focused on the power to weight ratio. Like you have to be skinny and you have to put out power on the bike. And so everyone wanted to look like a, like a stick figure, you know, like, like Froome or, or someone like, or the Schleck brothers. Um, the whole thing was like, oh, as long as you're, you're super light and can still produce power, you'll go fast uphill. But now you're starting to see more robust figures. And I think that's because they're focusing, yeah, more on intensity and more on all around fitness and explosive power, like probably being built up in the gym. You look at Roglic or Pojakar or even Evanapool now, they're, they look more strong and robust and they're still beating all the fastest times of my era up up climbs. So if I were to go back and do things, I'd probably, instead of following, you know, the general trend of the time, just try to be skinny and try to still, and that's, what's going to get you uphill, try to think outside of the box and be like, you know, maybe all this other stuff will get, would also yield the same results, which is, is looking like the direction it's going in. That's really interesting because we see in our, our coaching clients, the ones that do strength training get really good results that that strength overloading that muscle also working out all these different imbalances because i mean let's face it riding a bike doing maximal efforts in this really unanatomical position is not a healthy thing and what happens is you lose a lot of recruitment in that in that pedal stroke and so if you can go into the gym you can connect with your muscles you can get more muscular recruitment overload the muscle build some strength and then take it and apply it to the bike man you can go faster like there's there's really no debating it at this point for a lot of for a lot of people. And so it's really interesting to to hear you say that. I, I agree with you. I think watching the sport, I think it's become a much more dynamic, much more explosive, almost more aggressive style of racing where we're seeing like race winning attacks go from like 120k out. These guys are blowing it up, just nuking it. And it's like, wow. How are you guys surviving these? And why do you think that is, TJ? Why do you think it, th these attacks are going from so long out? It's really strange. I mean, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about with like the with all these cyclocross racers. They're basically used to going hard from the gun. Like they kind of throw tactics out the window. And we always, as road racers, thought we were playing chess while everyone else was playing checkers. You know, like we actually time our efforts because. You know, we do longer distances. If you use that up too soon, you're not going to have it for the final. Well, these guys just kind of tore up the script and they'd be, they just said, well, let's race this as if it were a mountain bike race or as if it were a cyclocross race. And we thought, oh, yeah, let them go. Like, uh, we'll catch them back. And But you couldn't catch them back. It used to be that you would give a breakaway of, say, four or five riders on a flat stage. You'd give them like six or seven minutes, sometimes eight, maybe even ten because you knew that you would, catch, you would catch them back. Now, you never see a break that, if, if someone's chasing and the break is, they don't want the break to win, you can't give them more than three minutes. Because if you give them more than three minutes, you will not see them back anymore. 
there used to be just like this whole lull, like, okay, you stop, we have a, a nature break, we eat some food, we chill out for about 10K, give them some time, let it stretch out. Then we kind of start to keep them at a distance and then you take them back. And it was never any worry that you were going to get them back. Now, there are no breaks. If you need to take a nature break, you better roll off the side of your bike because if you stop, you're out, you're out the back. So, so the time under tension has increased in the peloton it, they're, they're longer harder days it sounds like definitely it's uh i mean look you just saw evan yesterday set a record uh for the fastest tt like the gears are getting bigger they can push them harder they can push them at a higher cadence revolution which you know another reason to be in the gym you try pushing the cadence that evan pushes without your ligaments being robust and strong enough to handle that you're you're asking for an injury but I, so i'm sure that the only way that he can do that is by strengthening those joints and and stuff in the gym yeah your your point a little bit earlier to the to the physique of evan pole and roglick and there's a couple guys even even on ef like like court and and so on they have very strong looking physiques it's not the alberto contador physique the chris Froome physique that's performing at the top of the peloton anymore a little bit a little bit more athletic looking i i, I personally i like it they look stronger and I, I think like it's also safer you know if you crash and you're training in the gym um, you have less less chance of really injuring yourself of course when you're going 70k an hour or something like that and you hit the concrete no gym works gonna save you from breaking stuff but you know it's a, it's a tough sport, and I think those are some great points of feedback that, you know, if you get into the gym, it allows you to maximize your time, allows you to build strength, allows you to improve your overall fitness and health, and so so those are points of feedback for all of our listeners. Yeah, what? you mentioned uh, Magnus. He spends a, Magnus spends a lot of time in the gym. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's religious about going to the gym. And uh, probably does less volume in the winter than a lot of the guys on the team, but de definitely does a lot of gym work. And I think uh, you can't argue with the results that he's had. No, incredible performances all year from Magnus. What a guy, what a rider. And the best mustache in the pro peloton, for sure. <laughs> Question about that. So, TJ, you're going to, uh, you're going to Baltimore tomorrow, you said. What, uh, what's the plan for the team over there? Well, we have Magnus there. Um, Oh, we have a recon ride planned because I don't know. I'm looking at the course. I'm trying to see what, uh, you know, the last 50 K is basically in a city circuit, kind of like a crit style, but there's some hard stuff out there. We want to take a look at it, see if there's a chance we can't, uh, can't whittle the bunch down and, and kind of make Magnus's life a little easier heading into those circuits. But, uh, yeah, no, I think we, we definitely have a strong team. We got Nielsen showing up and, uh, you know, Jens Kukler, and so I think we got a strong squad, and we'll animate the race. That's going to be really exciting. So, TJ, one last question, and then we'll let you go. I know you're a busy guy. Lots of stuff to plan for the race tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but this weekend. You're a cycling coach at Team EF Coaching. You're working with regular, everyday people now. You're taking this knowledge from the top of the sport and applying it to people who want to do Grand Fondo. What's that like for you? It's been a, such a rewarding experience. I mean, just seeing guys um, improve and how excited they are. They, a guy who would maybe, his goal was just to lose five kilos and then he lost seven and he never thought it would be possible. 
you can just find things to improve, like it, whether it's nutrition or whether it's training, and then you'll see guys power go up or their time start to drop or their placings go up and they, they just get so stoked about it. And it's like watching a, a guy that I direct win a race and like everybody can have that feeling. So it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely something that it's given me a lot of personal satisfaction just to, just to help guys out. We, we take a lot of pride in our client success and we always as, as a company have that feel good moment when any of our athletes or our coaches succeed. It's a, it's a great environment. Well, Mr. TJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your feedback. We hope to have you on again and um, good luck this weekend. Thanks, Zach. And that's it for this episode of the Team EF Coaching Performance Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed to the podcast. That will allow us to send you notifications when we drop a new episode and you'll stay up to date with all the latest Team EF Coaching content. We both know you want that. Also, if you're interested in one-on-one coaching, head to teamefcoaching.com and schedule a consultation or check out our foundations training program. If you have any questions or anything that you'd like us to answer on a future podcast, go ahead and leave us a comment at teamefcoaching on either Instagram or send us a tweet. All right, that's it for this episode. Everybody take care and ride hard.